3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders past and present of the Kulin Nation and we recognise their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning. Welcome to Wednesday Breakfast. Welcome to 3CR Breakfast all week, every week. Um, mm. It's going to be a fantastic show today. Good morning, Edwin. Good morning, Dean, and good morning, Judith. Oh, it's great to be here. What a gorgeous morning with that full moon still out of it. And, oh, it was uh, a big moon, yeah. It was a big <laughs> moon. It woke me up, actually. There's a little crack in the curtain and... What is that waking me up? <laughs> that strange disc that of light. <laughs> That's right. Anyway, it's just beautiful. Yeah. We've got a, a pretty jam-packed show today, a mm. very jam-packed show. In probably about four minutes, we'll have Cam Walker talking to us um, about carbon capture and storage technology. Yeah. Yep. He doesn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> just just, to, just, to, just to let you know. Yeah. Um, and then Lauren Martin joins us at 7.20 to talk about their um, uh, memo days. leaves. Yeah, yep, bereavement leave. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a follow-up from the interview we had with them two months ago. And then at 7.36, we've got Claire. Um, from Project Futures, and she'll be talking about uh, modern slavery and the modern slavery bill that's going through um, the government right now that we haven't heard much about. No, no I haven't definitely. Heard I haven't heard about, about it. it. Yeah. Oh, and I've got a fun fact coming up. <laughs> a fun fact. <laughs> okay. that. Actually, I think we missed National Statistics Day, which was, I think, last <laughs> week. We were, we were, yeah, <laughs> we were going to do it. But anyway, fun fact. That, that, will, that will do. <laughs> uh, and then Alex Patel, National Director of Repower Health, which is a campaign run by Healthy Futures, and then we've got the Bob Brown Foundation. Yeah, Jenny Walker is an experienced campaigner with the Bob Brown Foundation, and then we've got a comment on the um, IPCC report. Bob Brown felt it didn't go far enough. Far so. enough. Yeah, and, we'll hear about that. And then Zombie Shuffle, the mining protest, the conference protest, um, and then we've got Tegan from Slutwalk as well, the fundraiser. We've got about six people, and it seems like it's going to be... Nuts. Nuts, yeah. <laughs> and, there might be a moment of silence, but, you know, <laughs> please forgive us. <laughs> Maybe one song or so. <laughs> um, might uh, go to a couple of community announcements and then come back and make sure we've got um, our next guest. Hi, this is Hugo the Poet. You're listening to 3CR, and by doing that, you're supporting community radio, an incredibly important institution in our times. In 2016, 3CR published a book to celebrate the station's 40th birthday. Years in the making, Radical Radio, celebrating 40 years of 3CR, is a visually stunning account of the people and ideas that make up this dynamic station. At 300 pages, the book includes hundreds of images and over 50 features on programs, people, music and technology from across the decades. 3CR's Radical Radio book is now on sale for just $30. You can get your copy of 3CR's book at the station during business hours at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy. Or online at 3cr.org.au forward slash shop. Get a piece of your own history on sale for just $30. 3CR's Radical Radio is available now. 
And you're listening to 3CR. Now, um, Judith and Dean, I've got a fun fact for you, which I've kind of forecast, but I was looking at the other day um, the bills passing through our government. Yes. And so I went to the official website, uh, which is www.aph.gov.au forward slash parliamentary business bills, legislation bills. Basically, you just keep going until you find the bills. Yeah. I could imagine, yeah. That's right. It's 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 a wormhole. Yeah, yeah. However, once you find the bills, you can scroll through them and you can actually press um, a little function called track. Oh. And through signing up I your like this. yeah through signing up your email um, and creating an account doesn't really need to be you know it can be whatever you want it's quite anonymous. You can actually track the progression of certain bills through Parliament and through through the both houses and where they're at and if they've passed. And I found this absolutely empowering because I was like, hell yeah, you never hear about some of these yeah, pieces well, of yeah. legislation. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's a scary they're there. Thing. Mm. Yeah. They, you just they're hear about there. them a little bit and then mm-hmm. that's it. Yeah. That's right. And there's actually quite a few, like, you know, I was, I was looking on the website and I'm like, wow, that's actually a really nice bill. Oh, that's a really nice bill. You never hear about it. You hear the dry economics, but you yeah. never hear the really cool, you Unless know. you watch Question Time between 12 and 2 <laughs> on every day. A, so, a bit okay. I, I think yeah. then you just want to run at a wall. I don't think that <laughs> inspires confidence. <laughs> But, um, yeah. yeah, so if you guys are looking to track bills, I know, um, why not be informed about what's going through our parliament? There's a funky function for you. Well, I think that's fantastic, mm, really. Fun and fact. because you can also <laughs> look at the bill itself and mm. kind of see what it's saying. Because often things have a good name. You know, think, oh, yeah, I like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And then you go to the TV and think, like, oh, maybe I, not. No. Maybe not. <laughs> Subclause A. It's, a, it's, a, it's okay one. to be white. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, like that oh my God, how about that? <laughs> oh, we, oh, lasted, that the we lasted so long without that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, but, Much I mean, I guess even um, having um, the guys from Memo leaves talking about mm. their, their campaign for bereavement leave. You know, yes. that's something that might be one of the bills hidden there. I'm yeah. surprised it's not just called www.aussiebills. Yeah, Aussie, Aussie, with the Z-Z-I-E. <laughs> no, definitely, definitely. I found um, what's weird is it's not like the government side. It's on the Parliament of Australia mm. site. Mm. Uh, so that was what APH obviously stood for. And, um, yeah, yeah, it was just a bit of a function. www.aph. Uh, .gov.au slash parliamentary underscore. That'd be thousands of bills. Some have probably been written in 1788. Still (laughs) sitting there, buried all the way down the back. They never made it. They never quite got up. Apparently, there is currently 243 bills before Parliament, 310 to be assented, and 73 not proceeding. Wow. And they they would come from different people, not just the the, the party and yeah. the power at all. Yeah. They, you know, people can put up yep. private members' bills That's and things exactly like right. that. Yeah, That's did any stand out for you, Edwin? Was there one that just um, Look, I have actually tracked some. You're putting me right on the spot, so I'll come I back with them. I know I am. I, I'm um, sorry. The Modern Slavery Bill, uh, which we are covering later today, that jumped out at me. Oh, okay. yeah, but there's also, there's also it's nice to see some things targeting, you know, the, the gender pay gap. Yes. Uh, there's some yeah. with the Australian media industry and, like, mm. protecting that there's one which is selling off a really important part of our media industry which is like the 75 percent ownership rule mm. um and i'll go into that uh, i'm hoping i'm going to save that for another day because that's yeah. that's scaring the hell out of me and i want to yes. break that down a bit but um yeah, we might want yeah. dennis muller to say something about that yes. he's spoken to us about media mm. in the past too so yeah. yeah and obviously with uh 150,000 people turning up yesterday was there anything in regards to the um australia needs a pay rise 
Yeah. Or is yeah. there something in those bills somewhere? Down um, there? actually, I do believe there might have been. Um, yeah. This is for the march on payroll. This is well, for the that, march yeah, on yeah, here yeah. in Melbourne. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess it, it's it, it all makes sense to have the march and to demand it. Yes. But if the process is that yeah. Parliament has <laughs> to vote on it, yeah. has somebody forgotten to put that bill on <laughs> yeah, there? Yeah. Well, no, good well, question. <laughs> good question. You know, it might it might be on there. You just never know. But, yeah, um, never know. We'll no. chase that up. Oh, um, there you go. Yeah, that's excellent. I, uh, you've got me excited. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know why we're going on the internet. Oh, again, I have a, a massive spike. All of these people. Look, we could from... even have a little section in the show that says, "Okay." I think so. I yeah, reckon this we. This week, I yeah, reckon yeah. we'll create a, a segment around that. Follow me. Yeah. <laughs> Follow the lead. <laughs> um, let's uh, yeah try and get Cam on. I'll just be back in just a moment. The National Sustainable Living Festival is Australia's flagship sustainability event and applications are now open for the event in February 2019. To celebrate its 20 years, SLF is calling all changemakers, presenters, artists, performers and creatives to submit their applications for the biggest disruption yet. There's never been a more vital time to get involved in this important festival. Apply now. Go to slf.org.au. A 3CR supporter. This year's Tilda, Melbourne Trans and Gender Diverse Film Festival, is packed with stories that represent the rich tapestry of trans and gender diverse people's lives. The program runs from Thursday the 8th to Sunday the 11th of November at Footscray Community Arts Centre and celebrates the best trans and gender diverse cinema on offer along with Q&A sessions with festival guests and opening and closing night events. Program details and tickets are available at tildamelbourne.com. A 3CR supporter. This is Ari Lecker. You're here on 3CR 855 AM Community Radio. Also streaming on 3cr.org.au. Free West Papua, Papua Merdeka gets up one talks. Anna Minhunak, voice of the Palestinian diaspora. Bringing news, views and stories about the Palestinian refugees in Australia and around the world in Arabic language. The show, which means in English, I am from there, also highlights the beauty and richness of the Palestinian and Arab culture. Tune in for Anna Minhunak every Monday, 10pm to 11pm on Radio 3CR 855 AM. And uh, on the line now, we have Cam Walker from Friends of the Earth. Cam, great to for, thank you for getting up early and coming on to the 3CR this morning. You're welcome. Good morning. Good morning. And um, Cam, this week, the, the 14th International Conference on Greenhouse Gas Control Technologies, or as I've learned this new acronym, <laughs> GHGT-14, 
is being held at the Melbourne Convention Centre from, well, right now. It's on right now. And they, uh, the conference has happened every couple of years, and they're looking at um, carbon storage and capture technology. You've suggested that um, CCS, as it's also known, is one of the false solutions to climate change. Yes, that's correct. So we all know we have a problem with coal. If we keep burning coal, it's one of the major sources of greenhouse gases, which is driving climate change. And climate science tells us we need to stop burning that coal and the other fossil fuels. And carbon capture and storage, CCS, is being presented, if you like, as a get-out-of-jail-free card by some people in the industry. And they say that what we can do is just trap the greenhouse gases, remove it from the coal, put it underground and everything will be fine and we can keep using oil, gas and coal. And we would argue that that's a false solution. You know what? It sounds like an incredibly expensive solution, well, in solution in quotes. Yes, it is. So it's, it's technically possible. You can certainly do it. You can separate out the carbon. You can compress it into a liquid kind of a liquid type form which is what is done you can pump it somewhere and then you can put it generally below 800 meters below the ground in a suitable um, formation Um, but you have to then hope it's going to stay there for thousands of years because if this technology starts to leak and there are some known examples where leaks have occurred uh, basically and then we keep on burning coal so in effect we're deferring later climate change and therefore not taking this trajectory off into clean renewable energy. We're basically pushing the the dilemma of climate change onto our grandkids and their grandkids. So it's a very high-risk strategy, and it's also very expensive. There's no commercial CCS operations running at present in the world that are hooked up to operating coal-fired power stations, except for two test ones in North America. But the cost of it, if we think we can do it, is just ridiculous. It's it's at least three to five times the cost of if you build new wind or solar. So you have to ask the question, why would we bother to do it? How many times? Three, three to how? Three to five. Uh, three to five. So the the expected um, megawatt hour cost of CCS at present is three hundred and fifty two dollars. Uh, whereas if you build, if you decided to build a new wind farm, you know, here in Victoria, you'd probably be paying sixty to eighty dollars. So three hundred and fifty two to sixty to eighty dollars. You know, you, you you just wouldn't compare it. Well, you, you um, think so you... much more expensive. Yeah, I mean, you think our government with, with their, you know, um, their claims to, you know, uh, responsible economic management would just jump on wind and solar power and would not be spending money on this kind of technology? Oh, absolutely, you would. Um, it's it's all about ideology at this point. There's the people who are the climate deniers who can't imagine stepping away from coal and they keep talking about this thing called Healy coal, which is um, high uh, high um, intensity, low emissions, uh, and they, which they often call clean coal. So we're going to have these clean coal, uh, coal-fired power stations. Just yesterday, the Prime Minister refused to rule out uh, investment in new coal developments here. Um, they want to export massive volumes of coal out of the Adani mine in Queensland. So they're ideologically committed to burning coal. So they're looking for a reason that they can justify it because it's getting harder and harder to, to just retain outright climate denialism, which has been the basis of the government policy uh, in recent years. So they, it's their last best chance. And the reality is it isn't working. And the other reality is that you and I as taxpayers have put in something like $1.3 billion um, 
into testing this technology, into mm. research and development already. So we've burnt vast volumes of money. Imagine how much solar you can install for $1.3 billion. You know, we, we'd probably be, uh, you know, at 100% renewables by now. Um, so they just keep throwing this good money at it, and it's going nowhere. It's untested, and it's risky, and it's certainly very expensive, and we don't even know if it will work at commercial scale. So we're saying there's a point where you just, you, fair enough that they wanted to invest in it and look at it, but there's a point where you've just got to say, it hasn't worked, you draw a line under it, and you use the technologies that work like wind, solar, storage, and so on. Yeah, anyone in who, you know, has studied the environment that I've spoken to about this just shakes their head. It sounds like it, it, the whole idea is almost is a government sop to the coal industry, a kind of distraction that, you know, maybe we will be able to continue with coal and, and maintain uh, a reasonable climate. Um, but, it, it you know, it, it is ridiculous given the amount of money that's going there when we have obvious benefits in other areas. Absolutely, and sadly, both sides of the main parties have been a bit obsessed with this, so both Labor and the Liberals have put, you know, good money into this, and at present here in Victoria we have a CCS project called CarbonNet, which is seeking to, you know, truth up the technology, and they're currently looking if people know the 90 mile beach area in Gippsland, they're looking offshore there to see if there's some suitable repositories where we could, uh, you know, pump the gas, we'd have to take it from the Latrobe Valley, compress it pump it all the way down through Longford where the gas currently comes in from offshore, put it offshore, put it below 800 metres and, you know, hopefully everything would be fine after that. And the reason they're doing that, I believe, is because some in the government are hopeful that we'll start to find new uses for coal, mm. but that won't be allowed to proceed. For instance, coal to hydrogen, which is a test project that's happening down in the valley at present, that won't be able to happen with CCF. So it's this kind of ongoing hope that everything will be fine, that someone will figure out a way to do that at, a, at an economically viable price. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, frankly, at this point, it's been a bit yeah. it's, It sounds like heads in the sand, you know, just not, not wanting to face reality. I mean, I also noticed that this conference this week is coming just before the annual International Mining and Resources Conference, having <laughs> held the following week in Melbourne. We'll have it, we're going to be talking about that later in the show. Uh, is there any connection between the two? I'm, I'm not sure how that timing worked, but it is interesting that, yeah, we've had two kind of big conferences or we'll have two big conferences based on extractive resources. Certainly, we, we continue to need mining, but the, the question is the mining companies, to a large degree, are out of control. And we're going to certainly hear at the IMARC conference, uh, you know, the, the opposition to that will highlight how the, the, the terrible behaviour, particularly of, of some of these corporations once they get into Latin America and Africa and so on. Um, there is this kind of global problem with many of the resource companies basically being out of control in terms of how they operate. And I think that, you know, it, this is part of the bigger narrative about who has power in our society. And here in Australia, the fossil fuel sector and the mineral sector are disproportionately powerful in terms of influencing federal politics. So I think there's a larger conversation to be had here. And I think that the, the counter-protests and the forums around the mining conference next week will be really interesting to kind of hear some alternative kind of approaches to how we might manage mining in a way that's actually good for communities rather than just siphoning out profits for, for foreign shareholders.
Yeah, well, Cam Walker, thank you very much for coming on Wednesday breakfast this morning, and uh, it's an important insight. And I, people can go to Friends of the Earth website if they want to find out more about this particular technology, the CCS greenhouse gas control technologies, and some of the concerns that people have had about it. So thank you for, for coming on this morning. Thanks very much. Bye. Bye. Right. And that was Cam Walker from Friends of the Earth. In just a moment. Vote for your mic. Want to support 3CR's diverse and independent voices? Well, it's not too late, and we still need your support. Donate now by calling 9419 8377 or donate online at www.3cr.org.au or post us a cheque or money order to Post Office Box 1277, Collingwood 3066. Fight for your mic. Twenty eighteen marks twenty years since senior traditional owner Yvonne Margarula invited supporters to come to Mirar Country within Kakadu National Park to blockade the proposed Jabaluka uranium mine. Thousands answered the call. The mine was stopped. To commemorate this extraordinary anniversary, Gunjadmi Aboriginal Corporation and the Australian Conservation Foundation have produced a gorgeous commemorative calendar. Standing strong, Jabaluka 20 years is a piece of history you don't want to miss. Order your copy today at mirar.net. That's M-I-R-A-R-R.net. A 3CR supporter. You're on 855 AM, 3cr.org.au. If you want to tune in online, it's time now to get to our next guest. Um, on the 8th of August this year was uh, Dying to No Day, and we had the pleasure of having um, Lauren uh, Martin and Samantha Bladden join us in the studio to talk about their petition to extend bereavement leave. Um, and it was obviously the idea behind that is that grief does not discriminate um, and it's the opportunity to give every worker uh, decent leave to grieve. At the moment, the Fair Work Ombudsman um, uh, talks about um, all employees being entitled to two days compassionate leave each time an immediate family or household member dies or suffers a life-threatening illness or injury, and this falls in under the national employment standards, which are 10 minimum employment entitlements that have to be provided to all employees. Um, but Lauren is back now to give us a bit of an update as to how their campaign went. They had a launch in um, Clifton Hill on the 11th of August and to find out what's happening. Good morning, Lauren. Good morning. Thanks for joining us again on Thanks 3CR. Having... You've got yeah. Idwin and Judith in the studio with me. Um, <laughs> how, 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 um, first of all, how was uh, the launch of the campaign? Oh, the launch was really good. It was such a fantastic day. Um, we had um, some beautiful choirs come to sing, and we had some really wonderful speakers who spoke about, you know, the importance of um, acknowledging grief uh, and the many, many ways that it affects affects all of us. Mm-hmm. And I think um, the idea also, as I mentioned you know, the, the Fair Work Ombudsman has just given us two days, but your your push was all about extending the bereavement leave. Where is the campaign up to at the moment, and how and how's that petition going? Yeah, that's right. Well, um, currently we have um, 663 
um, supporters on the change.org um, petition that we have up there. Um, and as well as that, we have been talking to a lot of unions um, and had a really good response from them. They're really supportive uh, about um, the whole idea of I- increasing the bereavement leave and they um, are really um, have spent a lot of time chained to us and we really appreciate that. And um, from that, we started up a megaphone um, petition as well um, because the, the union groups um, prefer that um, as a platform for um, petitions. So um, we've got those two <laughs> going now. And um, just sort of seeing that's only a new one that we've just put up recently. So in the next sort of um, month or so, um, we'll be doing a lot more of that talking to to unions and um, giving them lots more information because um, we've done lots and lots of research uh, to to demonstrate that it's not only a, an important issue for each employee in Australia but also an important um, occupational health and safety issue uh, that people who are bereaved um, can <clears throat> be more um, dangerous if they're, if they're working and they're not um, concentrating uh, properly and, and two days is not enough time to, to recover from something like that. So um, they are costing businesses as well um, money because they are um, not, they're, they're sort of at work but they're not properly at work. Mm. And that's um, a, a something that's been defined as um, presentees and that falls in there as well. And, and it was interesting to, to sort of go through the, the Fair Work Ombudsman and have a look at um, how it's set up. And one interesting sort of thing that I came across was that an employee does not accumulate compassionate leave and it doesn't come out of their sick and carer's leave. So your, your push to sort of have that, that um, extended um, under the National Employment Standards to 10 days... It becomes really, really vital because most of the other entitlements tend to, um, you know, you accumulate them as you work. Yeah, right. That's a really good point. Yeah, that's true. Um, and I don't know how you could are, accumulate bereavement yeah. leave, but, you know, it's just, yeah, it, it just falls into a different bracket as well, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, um, <clears throat> yeah, and the 10 days um, is something that, um, is, is something is an amount of time that is sort of been happening all over the world recently in uh, in England. The Parliament passed a, a two-week bereavement leave for people who are for parent, bereaved parents, um, and also in America, there's another push there to provide um, three months. Actually, it's three months, um, three months bereavement leave in New York um, to people who suffered a bereavement of a close personal, you know, friend. Um, or, or, you know, relative. Yeah, um, um, it, it, it staggers me to think that in New York specifically after what happened that the push hadn't come earlier with, you know, people losing all their loved ones in, the, in the terror situation over there. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point too. Um, uh, yeah, the national, there's like a, a really strong sense of that, um, experiencing that loss as a large group of people, but um, still that there leave is um, is not a longer amount of time. In America, there are less um, people who have access to um, any types of protections. Mm-hmm. Um, in Australia, there's a few more protections, um, even for the casual workers, than for um, for those in, in America. Uh, hi, Lauren. It's Idwin here. I'm just going to ask a, a bit of a left-fielder question, but 
Um, within these traditions, and obviously this introducing of a new tradition, a work tradition of 10 days, I was wondering, can we combine it with older traditions? You know, um, I know, for example, Western culture, they have like the black armband, which is supposed to raise awareness when someone is going through a grieving period and kind of draw that. Could we, could we also bring that into our workplace environment? Would that sort of, would that kind of help acknowledge and kind of help yeah. support that person? That is a really great point as well, that uh, everyone uh, needs to be able to feel more confident talking about um, grief and death and bringing in armbands and things like that would really facilitate that mm. and be like a physical representation of how, of you know, that someone is going through a grieving process mm, and, I'm... you know, that to talk to them about it. A lot of people say how isolated they feel mm. and how they feel like people... Um, don't you know that they've got some something wrong with them, but they're just grieving, and yeah, the the not communicating with them is um it is not uh is not the sort of thing that they want. They want to talk about it. They want to um say um say how they're feeling and things like that. Mm. And so yeah, that would be a really great idea to um to bring some sort of physical thing into the workplace to to make a talking point or to let everyone know. Well, I'm just thinking we're having to introduce uh, 10 days leave because we've removed other previous things we had in place, you know, culturally, um, just in different ways. So it's it's a fascinating problem we've created for ourselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that mourning process is a a really important uh, thing that 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 is still in lots of cultures, but in that Western, this Western sort of culture, it's it's sort of a hidden thing and it's a taboo subject. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the Judith here. Uh, I'm just thinking the grieving process is a very personal process Absolutely. and different people um, deal with it in different ways. And um, I'm thinking to have an outright 10 days that you can claim uh, for bereavement, you know, quite aside from even workplace safety and all those other things, although I know those are the kinds of arguments that will often persuade employers and people there, but uh, having that time just gives people some space. And really, when you think about it, 10 days is nothing, in a sense. You yeah. know, grieving can go on years. So well, having um, that's a, Yeah, um, that, that's really an, an important thing that you bring up as well. Um, 10 days is the, the initial initial um, time that we are asking for but we are also asking for three months to be able to take time off and that is um, something that is not necessarily um, paid that's something that you you know can be worked out later but um, if 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 it's a close relative who has passed away um, then the the grieving process can take much longer and if it's not dealt with, it can become a sort of stifled grief and can lead to a whole range of other things um, like complex bereavement and, you know, with depression and um, anxiety and a whole... It can just roll it, sort of... Sort of um, what's the word? <laughs> just get more and more of a hurdle to, to overcome. And then what happens then is, you know, um, an individual person's grief symptoms, for example, could be classified as depression essentially you know and then all of a sudden it snowballs as you say um but the 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 one thing uh, we've got a pretty jam-packed show today that i found um moving was you know your website called memoleaves.com which is m-e-m-o-l-e-a-v-e-s.com had 
instances of some amazing stories posted on the website by people who you and Samantha um, probably hadn't met, even Yale and do probably hadn't met them, but people have gone on there and have, and have talked and actually expressed how they were feeling about the loss of their loved one. Yeah, that's right. Um, and there's an amazing story there about a man who is um, suffering from cancer and all his, uh, <clears throat> what he's going through and how he's come to his decisions. But <clears throat> there is definitely uh, some really interesting stories on there, um, yeah, about coming, you know, coming to terms with it and um, what they're experiencing, which mm. is all the things that we just really want to talk about um, because it's, not, it's just not talked about enough. And I think um, the, the other important thing is that this is not in the employees nor um, employees' interests as such. It's all about, um, I guess, having a holistic approach to all facets of the work. I mentioned that the um, NES or the National Employment Standards have those 10 minimum employment entitlements, but, you know, just to make sure that when people do take permanent leave for two days, when they come back, people aren't sort of saying, hey, how was your holiday? You That's know, right, because they, they just it. do take their annual leave, yeah, and they say, where is... Where is um, that person and that they say they're on annual leave but actually they've suffered a, a bereavement and they're coming back to work and they're expected to be happy and and things like that and they have um, experienced this thing and then there's not the sort of permission to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And, <clears throat> and Idwin's idea sounds fantastic. I think that whole, you know, you've got that orange shoelace campaign that's going on for domestic violence, a white ribbon. Yeah. Even just having something like that would be an amazing thing for people to to have that understanding, and as you mentioned before, you know, grief seems to be quite silent in, 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 in people's conversations, but it would be great to bring it out to the fore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, Lauren, just one more time, can you let our listeners know where they can go to join in the uh, megaphone and also um, get on the petition? I mean, it's uh, yep, the election's coming up, so let's... Um... <laughs> yeah. Oh, and by the way, just in, just in case you didn't hear us before, there is a website called aph.gov.au <laughs> where you can look at all the bills that are sitting in the background, but maybe yours can become one of the bills that's in there <laughs> yeah, as well. Yeah, <laughs> we would love that, yeah. Yeah, well, you can go straight to our website. It's memoleaves. It's um, M-E-M-O-L-E-A-V-E-S dot com. And there's links there to the change petition and also to the megaphone um, petition if you'd um, prefer to, to um, sign that one. Well, and there's also a survey that we're doing as well. Um, and we'd love your stories. If you've got a story that you would like to share about um, anything to do with... Um, um, and death, dying, or, or anything like that, ghost stories, all, all that sort of stuff. We love all that stuff, and that's um, what we're looking to share on our website. And you can just you can click on the participate button and share your story. Well, Lauren, thank you very much for joining us on 3CR well, Breakfast. For me. And you have a good morning. <laughs> you too. Thank you. Bye. Bye. And that was um, Lauren Martin from Memo Leaves. Hi, I'm Rod Quantock and you're listening to Fill in the Dots, you know who you're listening to. Why do I have to tell you who you're listening to? You know who you're listening to. You're listening to, yes, Fill in the Dots.
3CR Community Radio. You got it right. You've won a giraffe. Uh, we're at 855am. We're on digital radio and streaming at 3cr.org.au. 3CR has been making trouble since 1976 and occasionally I've been part of the trouble that's been made. It's a vital part of our uh, media landscape and I'd encourage you to get a hacksaw, an oxyacetylene torch and go up to the Dandenongs and, and bring down all those broadcast towers that aren't 3CR's towers and let's make 3CR the only source of information to an information-starved, dumbed-down Australian community. Written, authorised and spoken by Neil Mitchell. From every corner of the land, womankind arise! Women on the Line, a current affairs program devoted to women's voices, covering a diversity of women's interests and hearing women's perspectives on current affairs. Militantly, never you fear! Erosion of human rights leads directly and inevitably to erosion of human security. We do not accept the denial of our rights because the right to have a say over our country is our life. Women on the Line. Tune in on Mondays at 8.30am and Wednesdays at 6am on 3CR Community Radio 855am. And streaming live at 3cr.org.au. You're listening to 3CR. Now, earlier this year, the Australian government uh, proposed the Modern Slavery Bill, uh, targeted towards battling exploitation and slavery within Australia. But what is this bill? What does it do? Well, we have Claire from Project Futures today to give us kind of a rundown of what exactly the bill is about, whether it's the bill to battle modern slavery, and her own organisation, or the organisation part of Project Futures. Um, Good morning, Claire. Sorry, one moment. Sorry, Claire. Good morning, Claire. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry about that. Dean decided not to put us to air. <laughs> um, so just with your um, organisation, Project Futures uh, is an organisation centred around connecting community to the issues of modern slavery and providing support to victims of modern slavery. Um, could you give us a rundown of how you got involved with this and how Project Futures works uh, on its three-part premise, I believe, of prevention, support and empowerment? Sure. So Project Futures is coming up to its 10th anniversary. So we've been in the business for quite a while, sadly, um, because ultimately our goal is to close and there's no such an issue. But we support women and children in Australia and Cambodia. And we focus firstly on making sure that they have the support to recover once they've been identified, um, educating them so they have the opportunity to go on and be financially independent and hopefully lead a, a normal life. And also to, to have the skill, skills and tools to advocate, to um, educate their families and to really create a cycle of change, particularly in countries like Cambodia or the women that are coming into Australia that we're supporting. Because culturally there's a, a big disconnect between um, women being empowered and being in a position where they can activate their voice. Wonderful. And I I suppose um, with modern slavery, it's something we don't often think about. We think of the traditional slavery as our our perception. Um, What forms does modern slavery really take? Absolutely. We like to think that um, modern slavery or slavery in general was abolished decades ago, but the Mm. fact is that it's a thriving business. It's actually the second thriving trade um, behind drugs and weapons. So it's, it's really concerning. And we're talking about 40-plus million people around the world 
Um, and last year it was estimated about 15,000 in Australia. But these, these women, these men, these children, they're hidden in plain sight. They're walking around like you or I. They don't have a ball of chain. Um, and they're manipulated into a whole range of industries. Mm-hmm. From the sex trade, the farming industry, fishing, labour, hospitality—they're everywhere, uh, and they just look like you or I. They—they're not screaming from the rooftops to help me. They're just trying to get through the day and feed themselves and all their family. Well, I guess that's the thing is, as you said, hidden in plain sight. And there was the um, inquiry into it last year. I suppose how do we distinguish um, a worker or someone that we think to be a worker from someone who's being forced to work as a slave? Yeah, so it is difficult to eyeball that person. Um, <laughs> but often, you know, d- just to look at them is really difficult. But mm. we're talking about things they may be particularly um, withdrawn, they might be undernourished, they might be um, making no eye contact. But really, the, the police are the ones that need to go in and, and, and really investigate. You know, do the, those people have a visa? What are their working conditions like? Um, how are they presenting? Because often they won't... Um, speak up against the employer because they're held through debt bondage or um, some sort of condition that they're actually fearful. They feel like they need that job even though it is such a dire situation. I suppose it is more that like that insidious coercion. So usually, you know, with the traditional slavery, it was kind of like the ownership of the person. This is um, holding someone through debt or something like that. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, they manipulate them in different ways. A lot of the time, you know, people come into Australia on a legitimate visa thinking that they're here to work. They want to work. But when they get here, all of that, you know, their passport's taken away. They're living in dire conditions. They're getting little to no pay, maybe little to no food. Um, and they're just forced to work. And, you know, whether it's through shame, psychological torment, drug addiction, um, there's a whole heap of a range of ways that people are controlling others. Um, which essentially is slavery. And I suppose we'll, we've had government address from this through the Modern Slavery Bill, and just to catch up our audience, that's um, the Modern Slavery Bill, which has come in this year. It's based off the UK's version from 2015, and it's currently making its way through the Senate. Um, Claire, I suppose the million-dollar question, is this the bill to battle slavery, modern slavery? Look, I think it's a good start. Let's say that. I think um, Australia Australia really could be at the front runner here. We could be leading the way. We could be really actually making change and using our voice to start to stamp things out and on our borders and then to educate other countries on how to do this better. But instead, unfortunately, in a lot of ways, we're just replicating what the UK has implemented. Right. And whilst that does have some strengths, it also has some weaknesses that we don't seem to be willing to address and to create change we seem to just be sitting with the norm and unfortunately that's not actually going to make change because we're seeing there's you know failures in the UK and they're having trouble addressing those so if if we should take those learnings and we should make changes here. Yeah and I suppose well the bill what it does is it um, it creates accountability or it it tries to create accountability for train services by ensuring that um, Companies that create, I think it's a hundred, is it a hundred million, um, uh, in revenue have to report annually on, on an annually basis about the risks of slavery and how they're addressing it. Um, is it okay to only target these corporations? Should we go, be going for ones underneath this revenue bracket? Yeah, I mean, they haven't set the actual target in the in the UK, thirty six mm-hmm. million pounds. So that would see us sitting around fifty million pounds, uh, fifty million dollars. Yeah. Um, but whether it's fifty million or a hundred million, we're talking about the big end of town. Mm. And whilst they're obviously having a significant impact, 
um, and it's likely that they're um, employing services or products from overseas which are um, having some form of slavery involved to cut prices. We need to be addressing you know, a little bit lower revenue and, and starting to introduce or educate companies at that middle tier at least to prepare them to start to transition to this model. I suppose linking back to Project Futures, that's almost the, you know, the prevention before having to bring in the support services and the empowerment. Yeah, that's right. Ultimately, we want to stop slavery. We don't want to be trying to cure it. You know, on average, it takes a woman about eight years to fully recover and reintegrate into the community. That's hundreds of thousands of dollars potentially to try and get her there and a huge ordeal on her and her family. And, and it dysfunctions and disconnects communities, not only families. So the, it's such a far-reaching issue. The government needs to step in and put some restriction in here and to put some penalties in place. Uh, you know, they haven't actually talked about penalties. They're talking about all those lovely things about introducing um, an anti-slavery commissioner and they're talking about these things, mm. but are they actually going to do it? And is there going to be any bite if people aren't complying? Because that is a real risk. Yeah, that, that's the Judith here. Um, that's, a, that's really important, actually, that that legislation does have teeth when it goes through. Um, earlier, uh, you spoke about that your connection, you have a connection with Cambodia. I'm interested in what is that, what is that connection, what kind of slavery um, is happening in relation to Cambodia? So sex trafficking is the main issue in Cambodia, and we see this a lot with, um, you know, tourism coming in. Tourists come in, often Australians think, was here, if, we, if there's an exchange of dollars, if I pay for a service that that indicates consent, um, and, and, you know, most of the time it does, but in Cambodia that is not the case because these women are being trafficked from young girls. We're seeing them as young as 13 months old being trafficked, um, and they're mainly Westerners that are able to pay for girls that young, particularly if they have pale skin or they're very slight. Um, and the conditions these children are living in are horrific. So we actually fund a, a safe house over there and uh, preventative and outreach services. Um, and we supported about 8,500 women in their recovery and reintegration. Well, I was just going to ask um, what Project Futures, yeah, some of the, the things you offer. Um, just for anyone listening out there, how can um, people get in contact with your organisation or find out more information about this? Because I think... Definitely. Um, I didn't know enough about it, and I don't think the general public knows enough about it. It's not one of those topics which we see in our national discussion, which is a bit of a disgrace. Yeah, I think uh, you're not alone. When I first started in this role, I didn't know anything about trafficking. I, I thought it was something that happened on the movies. Mm. Uh, when I first started, we were using language like slavery, and I actually stopped a meeting and said, why do you keep saying slavery? We work in anti-trafficking. You know, It's just not language that we're comfortable with, and mm. it's not language we're familiar with. So these sort of conversations, talking to people about the issues is so important. We go to a lot of schools and talk to boys in particular, but school students about when you travel, when you meet people, like be conscious that there, these things are happening in the world. Um, but I think if people want to learn more, we really encourage them to go to our website at projectfutures.com, um, jump on our social media, follow us. You know, we're really trying to raise awareness. We're trying to give people that language and to start that conversation, as obviously, as well as raise funds. But at the moment, there's such little government funding. So we receive, receive zero government funding. It's all based on fundraising, which is a tough slog when it's not something people are really aware of or people are definitely. talking about. Definitely, definitely. And I think also um, the call for an um, independent anti-slavery commissioner office, which is just... Uh, 
not heard of yet, and it's it's a massive call from organisations like your own. Um, thank you so much, Claire, for joining us today. I really loved Project Futures um, prevention, support, and empowerment. You know that that three that that three part premise was just absolutely fantastic because it's, it's looking to recover rather than you know as you said it's not a thing to cure it's a thing to fix yeah exactly thank you so much for having me i really appreciate it no problem thank you for talking to us today thank you See you later and that was claire from project futures talking to us
You're listening to 3CR. That was Mojo Juju Native Tongue featuring the Pacific Victoria Choir. And that's all about, um, Mojo Juju has come out saying that's all about identity politics and kind of defining where she is within, um, modern Australia between her different conflicting, maybe, well, seemingly conflicting parts of her identity. Mojo Juju. It's time now for our next guest. We move from Project Futures yep. to Healthy Futures. <laughs> um, which is an organisation for health professionals who want to take action on climate change and on health grounds. Um, and they're launching a campaign called Repower Health to promote the uptake and installation of renewable energy in health services of all kinds around um, Australia. And we are joined now by the National Director of Repower Health, Alex Patel. Good morning, Alex. Hi, Dean. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us in the studio. Um, first and foremost, can, can you tell us first about Healthy Futures and I guess the link between health and um, combating climate change? Yeah, well, Healthy Futures was established a couple of years ago by some young GPs who realised that there are really strong links between climate change and health. Uh, they include things like um, mosquito-borne diseases, as a lot of people know, uh, but also things like the impacts on respiratory health um, and even neurological health of um, burning fossil fuels for energy. And that's really where Repower Health comes in. Yeah. So, so when you, you're talking about sort of viruses such as um, dengue fever and, and uh, malaria when you talk about mosquito-borne, yeah. those are some of the issues True. there, along with the respiratory and other yeah, yeah, so Healthy Futures is looking very broadly at the health impacts of climate change. And yes, they do include things like the movement southwards of things like malaria and dengue fever that we're already seeing. Mm. Um, they include heat uh, deaths from uh, heat, um, you know, extreme heat. Yeah. Um, they include things like uh, deaths uh, occurring through extreme weather events as well. Um, but Repower Health is really interested in the um, the links between fossil fuel uh, burning for energy production and health impacts. And, and we, as I mentioned, we just spoke to um, uh, Cam Walker from Friends of the Earth about ca- carbon capture storage technology. Um, uh, what, what does the en- energy policy of most healthcare institutions look like now? And, and I guess is there much use for things like renewables as well? There's there's an increasing move to renewables in the health sector, which is really promising. Uh, but the health sector relies, just as the general Australian energy usage relies, on burning fossil fuels. Um, in Victoria, that means brown coal predominantly. Uh, so we're seeing um, a move towards the uptake of renewables, which is really promising. Uh, the Victorian government is funding um, public hospitals to put solar uh, photovoltaic cells on uh, panels, which is really good. Um, but there are some barriers uh, to health, the health sector picking up renewables, and that includes their massive use of power. Mm. Uh, so they use a huge amount of power. Um, it also uh, includes the fact that they can't, uh, put uh, solar panels on their roofs yeah. and hope to cover their energy production because mm-hmm. they use so much power. 
so they really have to look at power purchase agreements, uh, is what the uh, industry calls them, where they're looking to, to take up long-term buying options uh, in the renewable energy market. So, and that's where Repower Health can come in as well. And I think yeah, you, um, Will was mentioning in your press release, you'll be mapping existing solar power clinics, healthcare services in hospitals. What what would that lead to? You know, you sort of mentioned sure. that, uh, and it's hard to imagine. Obviously, every hospital has all the fans on the ceiling. So, how do you get solar power in there if you if it's going to be sitting alongside that? Well. Yeah, well, I mean, there are hospitals in Melbourne which have um, solar arrays okay. already. Yep. Uh, there's actually 45 of them, but they're usually only covering a very small percentage of their energy use. So um, Sunshine Hospital's got a new array, um, and that covers just 3% of its energy use. Yeah. Wow. So you can see some of the challenges. Uh, so you might see a whole lot of solar panels all over the roofs of hospitals, which is, looks really great. And However. it is um, <laughs> exactly, yeah. It's usually covering between five and at the most around, you know, up mm. to forty percent of their energy use. A really leading example is um, Monash Uni has entered in a uh, power purchase agreement with the um, Warramurra Wind Farm outside Horsham, which is really great. Uh, so that's an example of what you can do. They've got 4,000 solar panels on their roofs mm. Um, mm. out at Monash Uni, which is great, uh, but it's not enough. They need to outsource their power usage right. as well. And so, it, and I guess when it comes to larger health services like the Children's or Melbourne Hospital or even aged care facilities, um, business decisions are obviously increasingly being shifted out of the hands of the doctors and the staff and the nurses, what can they do, um, I guess, uh, still to, to change the energy policies at their workplace? Well, that's where Repower Health comes in as well. We'll train health uh, professionals as advocates in their sector. We'll give them information about energy policy, uh, which can be a little bit complex, as yeah. I guess we've just demonstrated. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and... Um, We'll train them in having these sort of uh, persuasive conversations with board directors, mm. um, with clinic owners, and uh, we'll also provide them with uh, written information and uh, information on our, on our website so they can put a business case uh, to their boards. And I guess when you look at the, um, the organisation Repower Health and this sort of campaign, Healthy Futures, <laughs> You mentioned 3% for some, maybe yeah. 40 What would success look like for you guys as, as an organisation? Well, yeah. We want to see 100% um, energy production from renewables for the health sector. Uh, we believe that matches the, uh, the aspirations around prevention for the health sector. Mm. Um, we're too focused on crisis at the moment. We need to move towards prevention, and that includes moving to clean energy sources. Uh, as a real priority and taking action on climate change. And, so, and, and predominantly being your, your goals as well, you know. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. We want to see 100% um, uh, use of renewables in the health sector. Um, as I said before, that can't just be about um, putting energy, renewable energy production on the roofs mm. or even wind um, power into the health sector. Uh, we're going to have to uh, look at power purchasing agreements as well. 
Alex, I was very excited to read about this project. I think it's uh, really important that, uh, you know, the health industry uh, puts energy into this. And because health professionals are going to be on the front line mm. as climate mm. crisis continues. And, of course, it's going to be, it'll be accelerated in the island countries, in the poorer countries. But wherever, we aren't immune in Australia either, not at all. And it will be health professionals that will be in the front line with some of the health problems. Absolutely. People are seeing them. Uh, these problems already um, you know doctors and nurses will see people coming in with uh, heat stroke on uh, on the in, during heat waves um, they're seeing the effects of uh, bushfires uh, that, are, that are burning now through autumn and sometimes winter uh, so health professionals as you say Judith are really on the front line so we're aware of what's happening um, with the impacts of climate change we can see them and this Saturday, you've got um, the launch of, of the campaign. Um, who, who's going to be speaking at the launch, and um, what are some of the details about Saturday? Yeah, sure. So we're kicking off at 4.30. Um, we've been very lucky to uh, get our venue at um, Fad Gallery, which is at 14 Cause Lane, just uh, in Chinatown off Little uh, Burke Street, which is fantastic. Uh, we've got a really, really exciting range of speakers. We've got our MC is Dr. Margie Beavis, uh, who your uh, listeners will know from the Medical Association for Prevention of yeah. War. And she's been on the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Indeed, I'm sure she has, yeah. yeah. Um, we have a young uh, cubby cubby man, Isaac Harrison, who's the, the first Aboriginal CEO of an energy uh, company uh, in Victoria, so he's heading up Bunjil Energy and we've entered into a partnership with Bunjil Energy so that if our advocates um, uh, end up convincing their clinic owners or their hospital boards or health centre boards to install solar uh, and Bunjil Energy ends up uh, being the installer, the preferred installer, uh, then we in Repower Health will receive a referral fee uh, and that uh, we hope to uh, continue to fund our program our campaign through that. Um, so, yeah, we have a really great range of speakers um, and uh, we welcome everyone, especially health practitioners, along on Saturday. Fantastic. And, and I noticed on the website just quickly that um, there is an option to sign up for updates as well. Is that open to anybody or just health professionals? Uh, it's open to anyone. Yeah. Uh, we really want to focus um, our sort of our attention on the needs of health practitioners, um, so what they need... Uh, from us to convince their workplaces to go solar uh, or eventually go on to wind in some cases uh, and enter power purchase agreements. But everyone's welcome to sign on, so please do. Um, and you can RSVP to the launch this Saturday, 27th of October, um, at the Fat Gallery, 14 Cause Lane in the city. You can go to www.repowerhealth.org.au forward slash launch. But Healthy Futures also have a website and it's called healthyfutures.net.au, which is where you can sign up for updates. Yeah, you can also sign up for updates at repowerhealth.org.au as well. Well, Alex, thank you very much for joining us on 3CR Breakfast and um, we look forward to having you on once again. Thank you. Tune in, dig deep and clean up by purchasing some fantastic discounted gardening books from 3CR's online garden store. We have books on water-wise gardening, organic vegetables, roses, climbers and creepers and even clematis. It's easy 
Just go to our website, 3cr.org.au, and follow the links on the front page. Don't have internet access? Call the station during business hours between 9 and 5, and we'll post out a catalogue in the mail. All proceeds help keep Melbourne's favourite gardening show on air for another year. Tune in 7.30am every Sunday morning. Great Voices number 17 is the latest two CD set from Great Voices on 3CR. It's a unique collection of rare opera and song featuring current singers like Kaufman and Kalea and the best singers of the 20th century. Colour, Sutherland, Olivero, Schwarzkopf, Guetta, Corelli, Pavarotti, Carreras and dozens more. Some less famous and some unknown. At $35 posted, $30 at 3CR, this two CD set number 17 will delight you with two and a half hours of glorious pleasure. Our previous issues are now only $10 each. Proceeds to 3CR. Ring now on 94198377 or go to 3cr.org.au forward slash shop.
Fade out. Okay, so the fifth annual International Mining Resources Conference, I mentioned this earlier when we spoke to Cam Walker from Friends of the Earth, um, IMARC is being held in Melbourne from October 30th to November 1st. That's next week. The opening plenary is entitled Global Mining Principles that Contribute to Sustainable Development, which uh, is encouraging, but a number of climate action groups aren't really buying it. They're organizing protests throughout the conference to highlight the negative impact mining is having both on the environment and on indigenous peoples around the world. I caught up with some of them on Sunday. Um, Rebecca from the Melbourne Rainforest Action Group filled me in on the background to the protests, and they were actually um, at the at Trades Hall in the car park making banners. We're painting banners, we're making placards for the actions that we have coming up at the IMARC conference. Can you just tell me about why you've got these actions happening? There's the big international mining conference that's happening here in Melbourne. And as part of that, there's uh, diplomats, there's CEOs of big mining companies, there's a whole lot of people involved with technology, all about exploring mining. Uh, And so it's a really good opportunity for us to actually draw a bit of public awareness to what's happening with mining, especially in Indigenous territories and protected forests and reserves globally, but we are particularly focused in Ecuador. And what is happening in Ecuador that you're concerned about? So uh, since about 2010, Ecuador has really opened up for mining. Before that, uh, oil was the predominant uh, source of extractivism in uh, Ecuador. But since 2010, they've opened up particularly copper and gold. They're still predominantly in the exploration phases with a lot of the mines, but a good percentage of them are Australian companies going into Ecuador, into the headwaters of the Amazon, into these along the top of the Andes where they've got cloud forests with all these incredibly biodiverse threatened species to the mining companies that are basically just going in, putting roads into pristine forests where there never were roads. And yeah, we were just really concerned and wanted to draw public awareness to that. And uh, who does want them there? Obviously someone has given them permission to come in. Well, I think this is where Austrade is working pretty heavily with the Ecuadorian government to give mining companies more opportunity. And it's uh, you know, based around the whole idea of development. And Ecuador is a poor country, but the minute you, you open an area up for mining, you're damaging the water, and that's been what's been happening with the oil, and that's what's happening already you know, in, in Peru the, with the mining. It's just completely laid waste to a lot of the rivers. And so you're saying earlier that Australia, Australian mining companies are in Ecuador. What would you like to see happen? Well, of course, we would like to see uh, the mining companies taking a bit of corporate responsibility, backing out of areas where local communities do not want them, where there are already protected forests, looking at the planet and just being a little bit more responsible about the actions. Miriam is also here, painting banners. She's from Mapuche, Aboriginal Struggles for Indigenous Land, Massel Collective and LASNET, the Latin American Solidarity Network. I asked her about the actions planned for the week. There's going to be a protest and rally um, happening the first, for the first plenary, so it's at 7am in the morning at the convention centre. That's going to be a big rally. There's going to be speakers from Papua New Guinea, from Chile, hopefully some speakers talking about Adani and mining here and the impact on Aboriginal communities. 
and talking about yeah the reality of what the mining industry is because a lot of this um, conference is going to be about how mining is clean and green and can be responsible and can be sustainable and so you know like w w to expose that that the myth of that of uh, their rhetoric and to show the reality of what mining actually looks like. So, so that's the first event. Yeah. And then what's happening on the 31st, October 31st? Right, yeah. So on the 31st, all of business, um, leaders of uh, you know, government, mining executives are all having a really big fancy gala ball and that's going to be held at Crown Casino. So we're going to join them. Just the word on the wind is that a whole lot of zombies are going to also be out in Melbourne in the same day, which is just happens to be a massive coincidence, seeing as it's Halloween, seeing as we're edging towards the climate apocalypse. You know, it's only fitting that really zombies just take over Crown Casino and serve back to them black coal canapes, tailings martinis, all the delights of clean coal has to offer. And also, I think there's going to be parallel actions in Brisbane because, the yeah, it's just something in the water. Something in the water. So there'll be zombies in Brisbane as well? Yes. That's, that's your intelligence? That's the intelligence, yeah, on the zombie, the zombie radio. There's something in the water. There's something in the water. And what about the last day? What's happening in, on, the, on the 1st of November? Yeah, on the 1st of November, Thursday, the IMARC conference is having a Latin American showcase. So they're going to have people from Chile, from Peru, from all across Latin America, business executives, meeting with people in Australia, with you know business and industry leaders in Australia, with universities, with government. The plan is to expand mining. How can we find more opportunities for mining in Latin America? How can we make more money and expand our profits? There's going to be a strong protest on that day. It's at 12 in midday on Thursday, the 1st of November, in solidarity with all the communities across Latin America that say yes to life and no to mining, that say that water is more precious than gold and that the devastation that mining creates in Latin America is felt by Indigenous peoples most of all and peasants and workers. You know, if you look in the Cerrojón in Colombia and the black lung that workers experience there, health regulations are seen as a barrier to the profits that a mining company can make. So the ability of countries to make their own laws in regards to you know, health and safety regulations is encroached on more and more. And, and also to challenge the idea that mining is necessary or that mining is development when we know that what we need for development and for a healthy future is clean air, clean water, clean earth. That's what we need. That's more precious than anything that can come out of the earth. Rebecca again from the Melbourne Rainforest Action Group. It's one that's really close to our heart because although we you know, support rainforests globally, our focus at present is really in Ecuador because the mining is just starting there. Latin America might seem far away for people in Australia, but the effects of what happens there affects all of us globally. And it's certainly not far from home when it's Australian mining companies that are going in there. Exactly, and that's the concern. And, you know, it's not just in Ecuador, obviously, you know, they're in Africa and PNG, and their presence globally is, is quite concerning. And the sort of sense of responsibility and the sense of impunity that they have, it's, yeah, it's quite concerning. And that was Rebecca from the Melbourne Rainforest Action Group. And many groups are coming together, many groups coming together to uh, 
engage with that protest. I, I know that the war, um, Warriors of the Resistance and SAID and other Aboriginal groups will be there. Obviously, the people are fighting the Adani mine in Queensland. I mean, it's not far from home at all, these issues. So um, if you're feeling like getting your zombie gear on, you know, <laughs> head down for the ball. It sounds, uh, yeah. And talking about zombie, that's why we um, themed it with zombie by the Cranberries. Just if you're wondering what the song, bang a song before. <laughs> So that zombie shuffle. Always on the music, which Always is fantastic, Edwin. Yeah. I just love the concept of a zombie shuffle, though, Judith. That's fantastic. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. I'm told there's going to be dancing in, oh. in, in the zombie style. Fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping to get down. And also the other, you know, three days of protests, which mm-hmm. are kind of, uh, you know, correspond to the kinds of things that are being talking, talked about at the conference itself. So, um, yeah, great work. Yeah. I'm um, just catching up. FreeCR is a community radio licence holder. What you hear on community radio is governed by the community radio codes of practice. The codes of practice cover matters relating to program content, including local content, news, current affairs, Australian music, programs for children and the responsibilities associated with broadcasting by and for the community. They also cover aspects such as community access and participation in the operation of this station. Copies of the code are available from the 3CR website. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash who we are. Hello, it's Fiona Scott-Norman here and I would just like to say congratulations. You are doing something very important right now. Do you want to know what it is? You are listening to 3CR. Melbourne's most diverse and fascinating community radio station. And you know why it's important? Because diversity is important. Community is important. Community radio is very, very important. And you are a winner. Hello, it's Fiona My name is Selva Coolidge Elvin and I am fighting for my life. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to have to flee your own country, spend days or weeks in a leaky boat on dangerous rolling seas and then arrive in a new country where you are terrorised even more? Well, that's the life confronting millions of people in this world who have no choice but to seek asylum. All these people want is a fair go, but here in Australia, our government, in our name, treats these desperate people with cruelty and inhumanity. Here at 3CR, we aim to give these people a voice, a chance to speak out and let you know that they are just like us, people with hopes and aspirations, people who deserve to be treated as we would expect to be treated if we found ourselves in this position. Refugee Radio is the voice of refugees. 10am every Sunday at 3CR 855 on the AM dial. So say I'm not a worthless human being Cause no one needs a worthless human being My family need a worthwhile human being Oh, you're listening to 855 AM 3CR um, Founded in 2011 uh, The Slut Walk, which is a movement um, Which is really all about a unified statement About sexual assault and victims' rights And to demand respect for all You don't need to claim the word for yourself, whether a fellow person or simply an ally. You don't have to wear your your sexual 
proclivities on your sleeve. <laughs> we just ask that they they just ask that you come. Uh, and it's any gender identification, any age, singles, couples, parents, sisters, friends can all come, walk or stroll or strut or holler or stomp with Slut Walk. Uh, and this weekend, there is Slutoween. And to find out a little bit more, we are joined by Tegan. Good morning, Tegan. Hi, how are you all? Very well, thanks. I've just read your full mission statement out there without actually <laughs> saying that that's what it was. <laughs> um, we've we've had no, you on uh, 3CR a few times and now it's seven years since it started. Um, yes. ha- you've got your fundraiser this weekend happening. We do. We have Slutterween, yes, so coinciding with Halloween. Um, if you're American or if you're my sister and you're listening, it's Beltane. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Um, yes, you had to, yeah, I had to say that for her. Um, okay, yeah, so it's at Loop Bar in the city from 6 o'clock, so early start. Nice. And I think yeah. more importantly, I sort as I said, I just read your mission statement. In your own words, maybe just give us a little bit of a, of a, uh, a synopsis as to why it's important to make a statement about sexual assault and victims' rights at the moment and over the last, you know, seven years. Yeah, well, it's it's always important, mm. but especially at the moment with um, all these new movements and all these ex- and all these people coming out now talking about their experiences, um, but still getting shamed for it. Mm. So you see, like in the US, people like Kavanaugh, who obviously is a rapist, and then comes out as the Supreme Court judge. <laughs> like, it's just really frustrating to see. So that's why we take to the streets every year. And with your with your event, you've got um, obviously some talented artists who are coming up, like Discophobia, Leah Stark, and the idea really is to um, you know raise some funds to to support the movement. Yeah, so we do need funds to put on the march itself, so we can get some supplies, we can book an Auckland interpreter um, to make it accessible. So we do need money to put that on. Um, but yeah, the entry for the $10 online, or if you want to come at the door, it's $15. Recommend booking online because Slutterween or Slutwalk <laughs> events do sell out. <laughs> so I can't talk this morning. Um, <laughs> and it's yeah, all about, yeah. obviously, uh, supporting a charity too. You know, you raise those funds to help you put on the march, but then yeah. with what's left over, it, it goes to your chosen charity. Um, and who, do you know who it is this yeah. year? We haven't. We're still working that out this year, but, yeah, every every... Like the bits of money that we have left over from the march, uh, yeah, we always donate to a, a charity that supports women, non-binary, trans, mm. LGBTIQA+. And I know um, you mentioned that it's at Loop, so it starts at six, goes mm-hmm. from six till nine, uh, six and people can, nine, yeah. people can buy tickets at uh, Loop online, but also on Eventbrite as well. Yeah. Yeah, so that's correct, yeah. So you can um, search for us on the Facebook page and that's the event there with all the information. Do recommend buying tickets online just because they have sold out in the past. Oh, and Tegan, it's just item here. Uh, just a question. Uh, will you be having a movie or artist? What, what, what's the what's the night going to hold? No, got, yeah, there's lots of different artists. We've got a magician, we've got some oh. drag, we've got some poets, we've got cult dance closing the show with a performance. It's going to be really great. That sounds and fun. costume party. So if you dress up, you can win private. Oh, fantastic. Well, uh, yeah, yep. thank you for coming on uh, 3CR and just giving us a bit of an insight into that. Um, I'll, um, we'll put our deta- your details of the event on our um, show's um, website. But, yeah, have a good weekend and we appreciate you joining us on 3CR. Thank you.
Thank you for having me. <laughs> and that was Tegan, who is one of the organisers of Slut Walking, as I mentioned. Um, you know, it's all about, um, yeah, making a, a statement about sexual assault and victims' rights and, I guess, the demand for respect for all um, as well. Just go to a quick announcement and then I'll come back to wrap up the show. Global Intifada, bringing you current affairs through revolutionary and protest music from around the world. Every Thursday afternoon from 5 till 6 on 3CR. Because music is our bomb. Hi, this is Rafiv Ziada and you're listening to 3CR Pro-Palestinian Happily Proud Radio. You're listening to 3CR Radio. And with that wonderful radio identification, um, we come back to kind of wrap up the show. Uh, just a quick update. Uh, we did a story a few weeks ago talking to Wesley and Paul from Monash, uh, talking about the Raise Your Hand for Monash Youth uh, campaign, which is all about getting a headspace facility in the Council of Monash, which has something like 72 schools combined. Mm. Uh, so that's tackling youth mental health issues. And just to let you know, update, uh, the federal opposition, so Labour Party, have committed to a headspace facility being in Monash, uh, notably the member of Hotham, Claire O'Neill, and the Shadow Minister for Health, Deborah. Um, and I've got, I don't have her last name, but that's, <laughs> Deb uh, uh, is that, on the game. <laughs> that's, that's actually good news because I thought with um, the Liberal and the Labour coming out and saying that they're going to have a 30-minute fast train to Geelong, that that might have mm. been the only option for people in the city of Monash that's to get right. space. Get yeah. on the train for <laughs> half an hour to Geelong. Yes. But that's fantastic. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is um, good news. It is, yeah. I mean, yeah. when you were talking about the numbers and how many schools were in that mm. area, different um, cultures, different, um, uh, I guess, um, um, demographics as well in that, mm. in, in that area. It's such a, a large population of people who don't have a mental health facility for, y- yeah. for young people. Yeah, no, it is a ridiculous amount, um, especially with such a collection of schools with such and such a diversity of like schools and uh, student populations. Mm. It really is. Well, as soon as you talk about diversity as well, you're talking about a whole range of mental health issues yeah. that can be affecting different people. So, mm. you know, it's it's complex and it really needs attention. And um, it's great that uh, politicians have got behind it. It is, it is, especially when you've got... The kids themselves calling for it. So yeah, exactly. youth led. Anyway, that's a small update on that. Uh, we'll maybe have a look at what we've covered today in the show. It's been a pretty packed show, all up. It <laughs> has. They say jam packed. We started at seven. Seven. 10. Yeah, ten. Yeah, with Cam Walker from Friends of the Earth about there is a conference being held in Melbourne this week. Um, the GHGT14, Greenhouse Gas Control Technologies, are going to be talked about. Is yeah, that right? and yes. he he's pointed out that this is really a false and expensive solution. Mm. It could be better putting the money into renewable energy. It's far cheaper. Uh, uh, far and I nearly cleaner. asked him, what's the point 
of having the conference. <laughs> and I, I sort of thought, well, better not. Because he obviously has said, yeah, it's useless. Every two years, yeah. That, yeah. every two years they have it. You know, two experimental projects that really haven't brought fruit. In, you know, in the United States haven't been shown to do very much. But I did wonder... It's kind of suspiciously. I mean, it's so much about the coal industry and whether the mining conference was held, you know, deliberately before the mining conference. But yeah, Cam ah. wasn't sure. He thought, but you know, on the it, nose, Judith. <laughs> no, I mean, one of the, it is on the nose. Actually, very mm. smelly. <laughs> the whole thing. <laughs> and you know, the other thing that amazes me about both of these conferences that on October the eighth we had the international intergovernmental panel on climate change, the IPC. C releasing its report and uh, the story there is like it's mu- this is a much worse report than previously yeah. one commentator described it as a collective scream sieved <laughs> through yeah, <laughs> sieved through the stern strained language of bureaucraties far out <laughs> a, a dire warning suggesting that strong action is required Within a few years, right? Like, can we wait till May yeah. for the next election yeah. till we to no. get some some climate change with rapid, far-reaching transitions? So, so much is needed, and it's needed quickly. But it sounds like the mining industry is right in there. And of course, I think can point out, you know, we have to be a, to look in more detail which mining and what are we talking mm. about. Yeah. However, the human rights abuses that people have talked about, particularly in Latin American countries, uh, you know, are, are just not a sustainable and also the destruction of the environment you know I mean but they're inhuman for the people involved but destruction of the environment you know we, we can't afford that globally we can't afford it and picking up on human rights abuses at 7.36 we also had Claire from Project Futures looking at the modern slavery bill and um, reconnecting victims of modern slavery and memo leaves are on. Lauren Martin was talking to us about their campaign for bereavement leave, mm. uh, and that's still continuing. And then at 7.50, we had Alex Patel, National Director of Repower Health, talking about what health professionals can do for climate change, essentially. Yeah. And so good to see that, that health is taking a lead here. And I think, again, one of the things that came out of the climate report is, you know, if governments aren't acting, then people need to act on the ground. And this is a really great way to reach a lot of people, a lot of people involved in the health profession. People power. Yeah. Love it. You spoke to the mining conference protest, uh, the zombie shuffle, which is happening this weekend. Yeah. Well, um, more, you know, several demos. Several, several demos. Including the zombie shuffle, which we got very excited about. Yeah. And then Tegan just gave us an update on the... Fundraiser, which is happening at Lupa, the Slutterween event, and that's uh, will be on Halloween. Yeah, that's our next show, thirty <laughs> first of October. You it never know what will happen. Tune in three CR. Well, thank you exciting. everybody for joining in, um, and we look forward to being back again next week. Next up, stick together. Stick together. Stick together. Fantastic. Board of ethical organisations to keep our vital community of voices on air. And we'd like to thank our breakfast supporters, the new international bookshop, Nibs, at Trades Hall, and eco-friendly paper and printing outfit, Earth Greetings. You can check them out at nibs.org.au and earthgreetings.com.au. And if you'd like more information on how your organisation can become a 3CR supporter, contact the station on 03 9419 8377.